you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We're in Mark chapter 7 as we continue in our sermon series that we have entitled, But First, A Study of the Priorities of Christ. And we'll hear Jesus this morning say, But First, Feed the Children. I must tell you, uh, as we come to this account in Mark 7, I'm going to read verses 24 to 30. I love this story. I love the simple beauty of this simple story about a simple faith. But there is great controversy that surrounds this story that I think often keeps us from seeing the simple beauty in the story. And so what I want to do for us this morning, I want to read the story, verses 24 to 30 of Mark chapter 7. I want to deal with the controversy first so that then we might be able to actually see the beauty in this simple story. So let's do that together. Let me read for us. I'm going to pray. We'll deal with the controversy and then look at the story. So if you would, hear now God's word from Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, first, let the children be fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please open our minds and our ears and help us to hear and rightly understand this story. And as we do that, as you open our minds and our hearts and you give us understanding, I pray that you would help us to see the simple beauty of the simple faith that we are called to in this story. And I pray that you'd be willing to show us all of those things, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The great controversy surrounding this account, which occurs in Matthew 15 and is recorded here in Mark chapter 7, is over Jesus' response. You see it there in verse 27, right? Uh, where he says, first, let the children be fed, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And in response to what Jesus has said, if you read various commentators, you read folks who are writing about this, if you look about this online, on social media, you see reactions like this. I saw folks say that Jesus' response here shows shocking intolerance. 
that this is an atrocious saying. I heard someone say this is the worst kind of chauvinism. But probably the thing that disturbed me the most, if you're on social media, maybe you saw the TikTok video that has the caption at the bottom, Jesus, comma, a racist, question mark. And then a man who purports to be a Christian minister explains that in this story, Jesus hurled a racial slur at a woman, but the woman did not back down and instead spoke truth to power and that she changed Jesus' mind and that Jesus then repented of his racism and healed her daughter. And this minister says he loves the story because it shows Jesus' humanity. It showed him even sinning and teaches Christians that we all ought to be on to our racism and repent as Jesus did. Now, a couple of thoughts about this. I, number one, let me be very clear. Racism is a sin. There is no doubt about that, right? God made all people in his image. There will be people from every race in heaven. God is saving people from every race. And so to elevate any one race over another or to subjugate any one race below all others is wrong and it is sinful. And so I want to be clear about that. Racism is sin. But second, I also want to be clear about what the Bible says. If racism is sin, then the one thing I know this story is not about is Jesus being racist. And how do I know that? 2 Corinthians 5 tells us clearly that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And the writer of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who was tempted in every way we are tempted, yet was without sin. So if I'm going to take the Bible's teaching as a whole, that interpretation can't be right, Okay. So what is going on here? What is a correct reading of this story? How should we hear what Jesus is saying here? Let me give you a few thoughts on it before we get into the story, because I think this controversy keeps us from seeing the beauty of the story. Number one, context, right? I'm under the great controversy. Why is the controversy wrong? Number one, the context. If you read Mark 7, verses 1 through 23, Jesus has just debated the scribes and the Pharisees about this idea of being clean and being unclean. And in this debate, you need to understand that in the Old Testament, there are these rules that help us to understand that we need to be holy before we come in front of God. So disease and dirt and decay and death all symbolized sin, which were to be avoided before coming before a holy God. Now the mistake made by the scribes and Pharisees was that they saw the ritual purity of avoiding things that were dead or things that were decaying or dirt or disease. They saw ritual purity not as symbolizing holiness, 
but as actual holiness. So they thought they could make themselves acceptable to God by avoiding unclean people and unclean places and unclean things and by doing ceremonial washings. And Jesus has just argued before this that sin is an internal matter of the heart, and it's not just an outward thing that can be cleansed by ceremonial washing. So Jesus has just rejected this clean, unclean distinction that led Jewish people to call Gentiles dogs. Okay, that's where the insult came in the day. Dogs were scavengers in Israel. They just ran around and ate anything, ate things that were dead and that sort of thing. And so Gentile people, to Jewish folks, ran around and touched things that were unclean and ate things that were unclean. And so many Jewish people would refer to Gentiles as dogs because they were unclean like these scavenger dogs were unclean. And Jesus has just rejected this clean, unclean distinction. And Matthew and Mark put this story right after the teaching to illustrate what Jesus' point was. So for you to read this story the way it's being interpreted on social media, you would have to believe that Jesus is now spouting the party line that he just rejected in this specific situation. And then Matthew and Mark put the contradiction right next to each other, which is crazy, right? I mean, here is Mark in his gospel. He's obviously writing to a Gentile audience, trying to get them to accept a Jewish Messiah. He explains all the Jewish customs and translates the Aramaic. That's how we know he's doing that. Why would he say, look, the Jewish Messiah said one thing, but he actually acted in a racist manner? That makes no sense. It would be so inconsistent for Jesus. It would be so inconsistent for Matthew and Mark to structure things this way. Next. This is so inconsistent with the character of Jesus. Think about it. Other Gentile people have come to him and asked for things, and he doesn't respond with Racial slurs. Think about the Roman centurion who comes to him and his servant is sick. And he says, will you heal my servant? And Jesus says, yes, I'll go to your house, which people were freaked out about because a Gentile house will be unclean. And the Roman centurion, remember, he says, listen, you don't have to come to my house, the Roman centurion says. He says, I am a man of authority. And so I understand that a man like you who has authority can speak the word and it happens. And Jesus says, wow, I've not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. He commends the Gentile Roman centurion. Well, maybe you think, well, Jesus approaches men that way. Maybe he's just a chauvinist. Okay? What about the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? In John 3, Jesus is very direct with Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He's so as he approaches the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. So to read this story the way it's sometimes translated, the way it's sometimes read would be very inconsistent with what Jesus does in other places. Right after this story, Jesus heals a deaf man, probably a Gentile because of the area that he's in and the Decapolis. 
And Jesus is so kind, and he's so tender, and even touches the man. So to read this story the way folks are reading it is so inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus and the behavior of Jesus in other places. So what is going on in this story? Well, here's where I think the disconnect happens. The word for dog that Jesus uses here to refer to this woman is not the word for an adult dog, for the street scavenger that is out you know, eating unclean things in Israel. The specific word he uses is, in the Greek, a diminutive. It, it, it means little dogs or puppies. Uh, it was commonly used in Greek for house pets, not the kind of dog that runs around and scavenges unclean things, but house pets that were kept there under the table, that children had as pets that lived in the home. That's the word Jesus uses here. And so he, he doesn't call her that racial slur. Some folks look at this and they say, well, you're reading a, a Greek view of things because Jewish people did see dogs as unclean scavengers. You're reading a Greek reading into a something that a Jewish rabbi, Jesus, is saying. I understand the critique, but I would respond by asking where is Jesus when he says this, and who is he talking to? Where is he? He's in the region of Tyre and Sidon. He has left Israel. He is in a Canaanite area. He is in a Greek area, right? He's left Israel. And who's he speaking to? A Canaanite Greek woman who wouldn't see dogs like Jewish people in Israel did. And by the way, she perfectly understands what he's saying. She picks up on it right away. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus, this woman has called him Matthew's account the son of David. And, and Jesus is saying exactly what the Old Testament said. The Jewish Messiah is going to come here to the Jewish nation first, to the children first. And then they would be alike to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, I don't even read his response as a refusal to grant her request. There are all these people who write it's an apparent refusal. I mean, where are my teenagers in here? Where are my kids in here, right? If you go to your parents and say, I want to go to the football game Friday night, and your parents say, first, you got to clean your room. First, you have to wash the car. First, you have to cut the grass. Because it would not be right to go to the football game before you get your chores done. Every kid in here knows that is not a refusal to go to the game. <laughs> right? That's just saying some other things have to happen first. And that's what Jesus is explaining, what the Old Testament has said for some time, that he came for the children of Israel first, and then they would be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus is speaking here in a... In a, not really a parable, but more like a proverb. And remember we learned in Matthew 13 that Jesus spoke in these proverbs and parables because people's hearts were dull about the things of God. And that speaking this way forces us to show what is in our hearts. Will we be impatient and uninterested to move on? 
or we would persist and pursue Jesus and ask him to teach us because these proverbs, these parables, reveal who is humble and who is patient and who's teachable. Last thought about this. I think her response is telling, right? You, you see her response there, right? She answers in verse 28. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she says. Notice what she doesn't say. She doesn't say, how dare you speak to me that way? I'm as good as anyone else. Gentiles are people too and deserve a place at the table. That would be truth speaking to power, calling Jesus to repent, and she doesn't respond that way. In fact, she says, yes, Lord. She agrees with him, right? She says, yes, Lord, that's true. And then she says something very interesting, but even the dogs who are there are different because she hears what he's saying. The word for dog that he used was not scavenger. It's the pet under the table. And so basically she responds and says, yes, you're sent to, to, the, to the children of Israel first, but you're saying I'm at the table. <laughs> That's what her response is, right? Yeah, you're sent to Israel first, but you're saying that I'm at the table with you, that I'm at the table of the master. She hears what he's saying. She knew the role of pet dogs in a Hellenistic home, and she knew, yeah, the food was first for the kids, but that the pets do get crumbs from the kids, from the leftovers. She says, so you're saying I'm at the table. I get crumbs from the master's table, which is more than enough. And she shows faith in the mercy of Jesus, that he would be merciful to heal her. She shows faith in the power of Jesus, that he is more than enough for the kids and the pets, that he's more than enough for the children of Israel and all who come to him in faith. That's what's going on in the story. So let me shift gears now from the controversy I think we have a correct understanding. Let me just say, let's be careful when we're interpreting things from a different language, from a different culture, from a different period of time. It's so easy to read our own thoughts and the whole, our own debates of the day into the text and hear things that are not there. So let's be careful about that. I think we're beginning to hear what's going on in the story. So all that was my introduction, if you're following on mine, right? Now I can preach a sermon on the text because we're finally here. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Because it's a very simple story about a very simple faith. And there is a simple beauty to it. First, look at the, the simple story. So many folks emphasize here all the differences. He's a man, she's a woman. He's Jewish, he's Gentile, he's from Israel, she's from someplace else. People emphasize the differences. But one of the things that I love about this simple story is it shows how much we have in common. You see what we have in common? Jesus has, been, has just been debating with the scribes and the Pharisees. He's tired. Matthew 15 says he withdrew. Jesus has this very common desire. I need to get away and get some rest. 
felt that before, haven't you? And notice where Jesus goes. Just a very common place. Verse 24, he's in the city's tire and Sidon, and he entered a house. It's common stuff, right? In very common cities, in a common home, the power of the gospel changes things in very common places. In cities like Hansville, where I was yesterday, Green Hill, in cities like Petersburg, Jesus does extraordinary things in very ordinary places. Notice also the common love, the common bond that is here. Yet this woman is different from us, but don't you relate to her? Look at 25. This woman comes to him because her little daughter, another diminutive there, her little daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit. She's possessed by a demon. Now, you may never have had a kid possessed by a demon before. Maybe you wondered. But the point is, there's this very common bond. It's a mom and her little daughter. We relate to that across, way across culture and time. That bond. And we relate to the common hurt, don't we? If you're a parent, you know when your kids hurt, you hurt. And she comes to him, and the text, we're told she begs him, right? Matthew says that she's crying when she comes, because when your kids hurt, you hurt. And that's a very common thing across all cultures. Then she has a very common response. I love what it says there in verse 25. She has this little daughter possessed by an but she had heard of him. She had heard about Jesus. She doesn't live in Israel, but she had heard of him. And evidently she had heard a good bit because Matthew says when she comes to him, she says, have mercy on me, son of David. A messianic term, a descendant from David. The same basically blind Artemis says, right? Have mercy on me, son of David, she says. But she's heard of him. She's heard the story. She's heard about Jesus, and that's why she comes, and she begs, and she cries because of this common bond that we feel, that when your kids hurt, you hurt, and every one of us would have this common response. If there is a problem with one of my kids, and there's something out here that might fix it, then I'm going for it. There's a desperation. She had heard of it. She had heard about it. And she has this common feeling that I think we all have, that there are so many things we cannot control. You know that feeling? When your kids are hurting or someone close to you is hurting and you can't fix it. There's a desperation there. And so she comes and verse 25 says she fell down at his feet. And verse 26 says she begged him. 
which despite the differences in time, in race, in culture, in religion, is what any one of us as parents would do. Now to grant this woman's request, Jesus had to cross barriers, racial barriers, social barriers, religious barriers, cultural barriers. And we as his followers should seek to cross those barriers as well. And I love the heart behind what some folks are erroneously saying on social media, because I think that's the heart. They want to cross barriers, and I think that is good. But what this story does is not point out the differences, but it points out all those things that we have in common. What if we just started, sometimes we're so anxious to cross barriers, to cross racial lines or cultural lines, that we try to just appeal to the differences. What if we just took some time looking at what we have in common? You know, we don't handle differences very well. In fact, we handle differences very poorly sometimes. In the account in Matthew 15, the disciples beg Jesus to send this woman away because she keeps crying. I don't know if it's the noise that was bothering her or if she was making a scene that was embarrassing. I don't know if it was just annoying them, but they want her to just, they want Jesus to just send her away. <laughs> That's so funny. Here are the future leaders of the church showing that kind of empathy. Just send her away. Just get rid of her. Friends, listen to me. I know that some of you here have been hurt by the church and by church leaders. But I want you to understand Many times, churches and church leaders do not love like the Savior loves. So don't let that experience keep you from coming to the Savior. And I might add that Jesus takes these unsympathetic men and that time with Jesus changes them and transforms them. And in just a few months, there will be very different kinds of men. May God do that here in this place. But when I was driving that, sorry, before I got on that soapbox, I said, what if we emphasize the things we have in common instead of emphasizing our differences? Because we don't do well with the differences. What if in our effort to cross boundaries, which we should do as followers of Jesus, what if we just emphasize what we had in common? I remember Lee Mayhall, I went over and talked to Alex Shipman, an African-American pastor in our denomination. We were talking, that was before the Common Ground days, talking about what the options could be. And Alex Shipman said something that was so profound. I was there, I had my notepad, I was taking notes. And, and, and here's what he said, like, how can we, you know, be more sensitive in crossing barriers? And he said, why don't you just make some friends with some black people? That's profound. Who usually comes to your church? Your friends? Who do you usually invite your church? People who are your friends? Why don't you just make some friends with some black people? Alex said. I'm like, that's genius. It's biblical. 
What if we begin to reach out to people, not emphasizing our differences, but what we had in common? What if we just use this story as an outline? That Jesus works in common places, in common cities, in a common house. What if we just begin to ask people, hey, where are you from? Everybody's from somewhere, right? I love that Power Aid ad campaign. Everyone's just a kid from someplace. Where are you from? What brings you to Shoals area? Or we see this common love between a mom and her little daughter. What if we just begin to ask, what do you love? What things do you like? Way to bond with people. Now we might have to get to know folks a little bit before we ask, what things have hurt you? What has been hurtful in your life? But that's common to man. The hurts that we experience in this world. What about this woman that she had heard of him? What if we begin to ask people, hey, what have you heard about God? What have you heard lately about Jesus? I've heard some things. What have you heard? We all hear things. We all read things online. What if we begin to ask questions and have conversations like that? I mean, we're supposed to be making disciples here. That's the reason we exist. And sometimes it's overwhelming because of the differences even in our own day and our own culture. And we get overwhelmed because we can't change anyone's heart. But we can have conversations with people, can't we? We can ask, where are you from? What brings you to souls? What do you love? What things have been hurtful? What are you hearing about God? What if we begin to measure progress that way? Just how many people have you had conversations with like that? People who are like you. People who are different from you, but would have those things in common. Oh, it's a simple story that emphasizes what we have in common. But there is a simple faith here, and that's the real point that we're supposed to get, right? At the end of Matthew's account, in Matthew 15, verse 28, Jesus answers her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Her daughter was healed instantly. But the whole point of this after Jesus just said to the Pharisees and scribes, there is no one group of people who are clean that can come to God and another group of people who are unclean that cannot come to God. The whole point of this story, a woman who's a Gentile with an unclean spirit in her home, the whole point is anyone who has this kind of faith can come to Jesus. Because there's not a group of us that's clean. We're all unclean. And Jesus makes us whole. That's the point. Notice a few things about her faith. She's not relying on anything good in herself, right? She's a woman, and in this day and time, they have a little lower status than men. She's a Gentile. She's born in a foreign land. So she's a different race. She's a different religion from a different culture. There's this demon, an unclean spirit in her home. She's not relying on anything good in herself. She's relying on Jesus being good, not in her being good enough. She's not listening to the voices of the culture around her. 
She lived next to Israel, so she knows the beliefs of Jewish people and probably was aware of how Jewish leaders would view Gentiles. So that she knew for her, a pagan Gentile woman, to even approach and address a Jewish man in public was scandalous. She's really breaking all the rules of his culture and hers, if you think about it, right? I mean, obviously, his culture would say she's unclean and a pagan and should not approach a Jewish holy man. But even her culture, a pagan culture, would say, hey, look, there are many gods at work in the world. Why would you go to a Jewish man who only believes in one God? He's the God of Israel, and we're not even in Israel. Why don't you go to a God of your own region, God of your own city? She doesn't listen to the voices of the culture around her. She doesn't rely on anything good in herself. Her faith is in the mercy and the power of Jesus. Mercy, faith in his mercy that he would have compassion on her and her little daughter. Faith in his power that he had more than enough on the table for the children of Israel and those outside of Israel. She hears what Jesus is saying. She says, so you're saying I'm at the table. Even though I'm not one of the children of Israel, I'm at the table. And at that point, faith says, whatever happens, it's okay, because at least I'm at the table with Jesus. I know I don't deserve to be at the table, <laughs> But I know that there's more than enough on that table for the kids and those outside of Israel. That's her faith. And anyone who has that kind of faith can come to Jesus. It doesn't matter about your culture, about your race, about your gender, or about your class. We are all unclean before Jesus, and he alone makes us clean. That's the simple faith that this story points us to emulate. And when you think about that, there is a very simple beauty about that, isn't there? There's a simple beauty to this simple story of simple faith. Mark puts it right here to teach us. That all that it takes is this simple faith to be at the table with Jesus. That's the point that he's making about what he's making. And to me, more than what you read online, there is a simple beauty to the fact that this woman who lived in another time and another place, a woman who is not American, who does not speak English, a woman with a demon in her house, this woman is placed here to teach us what faith should look like. There's a simple beauty in that that goes way beyond the ugliness of racism or chauvinism or intolerance. There's a simple beauty there's such a simple beauty in the fact that Jesus works in unlikely people from unlikely places in unlikely ways to do unlikely things. That simple beauty challenges us. It should 
humble us. And it gives us great hope. That if Jesus is willing to do something like this in a place like this, he can do those things here. He can do those things even in somebody broken and messed up like me. And somebody broken and messed up like you. What a simple beauty in this simple story of simple faith. May God use it in us here in this place. For his glory and for our good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <laughs> we missed it and messed up so badly. Just forgive us. Holy Spirit, please come and use the preaching of your word to open our minds and our hearts. Give us eyes to see. We go wrong in so many directions. Help us to see the simple beauty of the simple faith. Grant us this gift of faith that we might come to the table with you where there is more than enough for the children of Israel and all those who express faith in you. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.